You are listening to the weekly podcast of Transformation Life Church in Muskegon, Michigan. We pray you enjoy today's message. I was part of a group that put on a semi-truck show. We'd bring all the trucks in and, you know, get them all decked out and looking good. And we did it at the old racetrack out there. And, um, but it's been a few years. And uh, there's a truck show coming up, and it's going to be down at Pier Marquette Beach area at the end of September. Um, I'll get some information and we'll start letting you know about that, but it'll be on in September and they actually in the process of talking to me about it for being part of it for the truck show, um, the person I was talking to said, oh, that's right. You're a pastor of a church, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, how would you like to come down and share about five or 10 minutes, uh, share a word for five or 10 minutes and pray over the the truck show and and I said I I can do that I can do that how would you think what would it be like if Jesus in the streets came down there and then I get to share five or ten minutes how many think well that's not very long because I know you and you can't even get it done in a half hour 45 minutes an hour hour and a half and only my sound guy Larry he's going yeah keep going up keep going up you know, you can't get anything done in a short period of time. Listen, the Holy Ghost can do a lot in 10 minutes. You don't even need 10 minutes. And I'm just going to believe God to use that 5 to 10 minutes to make an impact into the hearts of people and just plant some seed. But how about Jesus in the streets being down there? How about walking around just smiling a little bit? How about praying for some people when they need it? Because I'm telling you, you don't even need to ask. All you do is walk by them. Like you, I, was, it, was it you, Pam, that was just telling me? So they were at, they, they were at uh, the chicken coop yesterday and prayed for these people. Seven people give their life to Christ. And then you went, where did you go after that? Sam's Club's gas station. And, and somebody was in the booth, right? Somebody's in the booth, and they come out of the booth and said, I need prayer. You didn't even have to knock on the booth and say, hey, can I pray for you? They came out of the booth and they said, I need prayer. How about we just be somebody not afraid to pray? How about we just be somebody not afraid to share the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation? You know, you may think I'm trying to like Maybe I'm trying to dummy down some things or something like, you know, what do you, what do you got a problem with, you know, having a problem with speaking in tongues? Listen, I just spent, I don't know, three hours with another pastor on Friday. And he was talking about getting pastors together, but then some don't believe in speaking in tongues and some do. And then because they don't believe in speaking in tongues, they won't get together with those that do. Now, 
I believe in speaking in tongues. And I believe we can get together with those that don't. Like, it doesn't bother me. It, I can still be with them even though they don't believe in speaking in tongues. But I believe in the influence of being around them. There may just come a day they'll say, hey, whatever that is, I need to know. Leadership is really one thing. Influence. If you don't have influence, you don't have leadership. Well, yeah, but I can shout better than any of them. So what? John Maxwell said this. If you think you're a leader and you look behind you and nobody is following you, you're only going for a walk. This ain't my notes, but I'm just trying to like flow a little bit with you're only going for a walk. Why do we think that somehow we're in leadership? means that we can just offend everybody else. Well, you don't like it too bad. If you don't like it, unfriend me. If you don't like what a sad attitude. As the body of Christ to think that we're more like I got to have my way, do it my way, say what I want to say. I don't care what you think and I don't care if it you know, I mean, the gospel itself is an offense. You don't need to add anything to it. You can preach the gospel with a smile on your face and somebody's still going to be offended. You certainly don't need to add things of demeanor and mannerism and tone and things of that nature that we can't control our own emotions and we call it the Holy Ghost. It ain't the Holy Ghost. It's your internal emotions that you operate under and out of it, people see the reality of what comes out of you. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit. And life. Spirit. What's the spirit of the word coming out of you? What's the spirit of it? What's the spirit of it? I want to make sure everybody knows I don't care what they think. Wrong spirit. I, I just want to make sure everybody knows that, uh, you know, I believe in this whether they do or don't. Wrong spirit. Right? My words, they are spirit and life. If what we speak is in a spirit that causes separation, separation in and of its nature is death. Well, I didn't get a lot of feedback on that one. Separation in and of itself, of its nature, is death. When the brilliant snake stood in front of, that was sarcasm, by the way, stood in front of Eve, and started saying things like, surely God didn't mean you would die. 
and the concept of death was unknown. Think about this. They were created in a perfect environment with everything perfect. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no destruction. They didn't see it. They didn't know what it was. They didn't have a Webster dictionary to look it up. They were standing in a perfect place with God, and this evil spirit comes in, this devil that wanted to divide, wanted to kill, wanted to destroy, came in and began to twist and say, surely God didn't really mean you would die. And then what adds to it is the misunderstanding of death and so when they did take of the fruit, which, by the way, I'm positive was not an apple because I've never picked up an apple and looked at it and said, oh, man, that is so luscious. I can't wait to take a bite. I, it had to be something else. I'm just saying. You know, we were having a great discussion on Thursday night at the men's cookout, and we discovered or we decided that Oreos now are man-made, but at one time they grew on trees because that would be the only thing. They had to have grown Oreos on trees because that's the only thing I would have looked at and said, yeah, now that right there would tempt me. Not an apple. Apple's not going to tempt me. But an Oreo, I mean, I'm like, so I think what happened is God quit letting Oreos grow on trees because of that, and then man had to start man-making them. I'm just saying that's what I'm thinking it is. But... When he stood there and said, you'll die, they had no concept of death. And what the death actually was, was separation. And then somehow we think that if we divide, we're bringing life. When division in its very nature is death. Divorce is a division, it's a death of a marriage, right? We're supposed to be, we're supposed to walk in the Spirit of God, right? I'm not, right, we all know we're supposed to walk in the Spirit of God. Your Bible says that God gives us the Spirit of not division, but a spirit of reconciliation. A spirit of reconciliation. How does that happen? Humble yourself one to another. Pray for those who, in your opinion, are against you. Because they're on the other side thinking you're against them and you're over here thinking they're against you. And, and, and if you ever got together, you'd figure out you're really not against each other. You just see things differently. But because we want to operate in a wall of protection, trust me, that's what it is. We put up barriers that create separation, which result in death. Death of family members, death of relationships with family members, death of relationships with kids, death of relationships with friends, death of relationships. God is a God of relationship. That's why his word said, somebody please tell me his word is true and every man a liar. 
I didn't hear that. His word is true, and every man a lie. And the Bible said that if you were to come to the altar with a gift, God doesn't care so much about your gift as he does your relationship. You can't give yourself out of a bad relationship. Hello? You can't do it. Well, God, you know, I've been saving up for a year, so I got more money than I've ever brought to the table before. God still says, leave it there and get out of here and go fix that. Right? God doesn't adjust how he reacts based on the volume you bring. But see, we're so used to people, we know that, you know, money will buy off people. And so we get used to solving problems with money. You know, like I was going to, you know, try to get more money in the township so they leave me alone, but it ain't going to work. I just got to be nicer and do things differently and win the township over. Right? I mean, I'm not telling you anything I don't got to work through myself. I'm not up here because I have it all together and got nothing to learn. I'm up here because I'm learning this stuff. And then God just happened to put me here in the things that I've got to learn, I've got to teach. And so we're so used to relationships being adjusted based on what somebody gets out of the relationship, that we think that's how God operates. Like, if you buy me enough gifts, I'll hang out with you whether I like you or not. Right? That's not how God operates. You can't buy... God's promises that are tied to a promise, tied to a principle and a pattern. That's why Cain and Abel, one was blessed and one was not. Not because one gave more, but one gave differently. Different hearts different purpose behind what he gave. He brought God what was the first fruits. He brought God what was the best. And the other one came and brought God what was the leftovers and out of a heart that was like, I guess I have to do this. And here's the funny thing about God. And this is one of the things we've got to get in, in us, in our understanding. God knows the heart we don't always do. We think we do. We like to say we have discernment, and discernment can be there. God can give you discernment. I'm not against discernment, but there's a fine line. Listen, God gave me this this week, and I, I, I was like sitting at my desk, and I'm like, oh, I've, 
God, I don't know what I don't know what to do with that. But God, you know, I felt like God said in my spirit, there's a fine line between discernment and deception. There's a fine line between discernment and deception. And we walk around talking about having discernment, but your Bible still says there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Why? Because we got to make sure our discernment is right. Why do we have to know his word? Because we have to know his word to know that our discernment is right. Just discernment in and of itself does not validate a thing. And if you're not careful, you'll walk between the line of discernment and deception and you'll spend your whole life destroying the things that God's trying to build and building the things God's trying to destroy because we walk between discernment and deception and we never get it right because we're not in submission to the Word of God. We've got it. So, so we just have to be careful. We have to be careful. And the greatest way to err is to err in the love of Christ. You know what? I don't like what you just said. I'll use Chris Gunn because he'll just throw something at me anyway if you don't like what I say. So I'll be like, brother, I don't know if I like. <laughs> He's getting ready. <laughs> I don't know if I like what you said, but you know what? Let me think about that. Right? If we're brothers in Christ, they know you because of the love showing one to another. And, and so sometimes we may not agree, but we'll just pause a minute and say, listen, uh, I'm not going to attack you over that. I'm going to pray about it. And, and don't you go rise up and try to cast everything on top of, you know, because you know I don't agree. And this is the kind of stuff that goes on in the body of Christ and the world looks outside and says, man, why do I want to get in the middle of that mess? I'm just going to go back to the bar because we can have a drink together. And eventually, if I pick my friends right, I'll, I'll pick the happy drunk so I don't have to fight about it at the end of the night. And if I do pick a one that's not a happy drunk and we do fight about it, <laughs> he ain't going to remember it the next day anyway. We'll be okay. What was that? Uh, was it the book, The Quest? Was was which which book was? Um, didn't Chuck Pierce write one where it talks about the climbing the mountain and this and that? And then in the major, there was wounded people all over. Rick Joyner and the quest, the final quest, and it talks about seeing all these Christians climbing this mountain, and they were and the Christians were shooting each other. I think that's what it talks about, right? It's been a long time since I've seen that book. But they were, they were shooting each other instead of working together. Go with me to Colossians. I'm going to see if I can make what I just said mean anything. Say, give me Jesus. 
I gave you some of these scriptures just last week. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will forever remain. There was a transition. Say transition. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that right? So the Bible says there he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, he is the same. His character is the same. His nature is the same. But he's made some adjustments in some things on how he operates. I know some of you think, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, in the Old Testament, God would send his spirit on man, and man would be able to do what God asked him to do. And if you read in the Old Testament, you will see, even like in 1 Kings 18.46, where it talks about Elijah. How many know the story of Elijah that he had... He had commanded it to not rain. Right? He had commanded no rain. But then he started asking God for rain again, right? And then he would send a man up to check. And the man would say, I don't see anything. And then he'd say, hey, go up and look again. And he'd go up, I don't see anything. And then he sent him up and he said, I see a cloud the size of of a man's hand, right? You know this story, right? And then Elijah said, I hear the abundance of rain. Go tell the king to get moving. Get moving. And when we see in 1 Kings 18, 46, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came on Elijah and he outran the chariots as the rain was coming in. The Spirit of God came on Elijah. Samson. How many know the story of Samson? He was a Nazarite. He had some vows that he said he would keep because God said, if you'll keep these vows, I will be with you. Right? No strong drink. Right? The one that everybody should know is he couldn't cut his hair. That doesn't mean we start a church of the first Samsons. And nobody can cut their hair. But those were, those were of the vows. These were things that he committed to. And... So in the process, as long as he maintained this, the Spirit of God would come on Samson and he could do great things and he destroyed Philistines by the thousands with a jawbone of a donkey in one occasion. Right? Did great things because the Spirit of God would come on him. And that Spirit of God worked as long as he kept his vow. 
And then when he started giving up the secret that he couldn't have his hair cut, and then Delilah cut his hair, and even then God showed mercy. Even then God showed mercy. In the end of his days, he said, God, just come on me one more time. I know I blew it. I knew I made a mistake. I knew that I was wrong. I gave away the secret. I didn't commit to my vow, and I let my hair be cut, and I started doing things I wasn't supposed to do. I was with a woman I should have never been with. I was doing things I should have never been doing. But God, one more time, let your anointing come on me. Let your presence come on me. And God dropped the Spirit of God on him again and allowed him to cause the falling down of the whole building that killed thousands. That they had him chained to and would make fun of and mock. The police officers are here, by the way. If you need to run and hide, now would be the time. If your license plate's expired, maybe run out there and cover it. But in the Old Testament, the principle of how God operated was that God would come upon man. His presence would come upon man. It wasn't always called the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's only referenced a couple times in the Old Testament. Some, it was referenced sometimes as the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. Would come upon man. And man would be able to do whatever God asked that man to do because of the presence of God that was on him, that he put on him for a specific time, for a specific purpose. It was a limited time and purpose in the Old Testament. As soon as God was done with what he was accomplishing, the Spirit did not always stay present on that person. It was a different structure. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he did things differently. You know the story of Saul. In the Bible, it talks about the people of Israel wanted to be like everybody else. And to be like everybody else, they wanted a king because somehow, I don't know, having a king makes you special. I don't know. I didn't live there in that time. I have a hard time imagining, but I'm not going to be so prideful to think, because I used to say to myself, I don't understand why Eve took a bite and why Adam took a bite. I would never do that. How many have ever said that? I would never do that. You, you have no idea. You have no idea what you would have done. Right? And so... Israel wanted a king because everybody else had a king. And so he said to Israel, no, you don't need a king. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. 
Now, to me, that sounds like a great trade. Instead of me having to listen to some guy, I can have God direct my life. It's a great concept, and the people didn't want anything to do with it. You can see that when Moses was at the bottom of the mountain of Mount Sinai and went up and got the new. When God wanted to talk to the people, the people wouldn't go, and they said, no, no, you talk to just Moses. We don't want anything to do with that. We don't want to get in close to God. Moses, you go. So here was a time where people could have had an experience with God. They said, no, we'll leave it to one man. And now the people are back at it again. And they're saying, we want a king. And God's saying, I don't, you don't need a king. You don't need to be like all the other nations. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. We'll be good. And they're like, no, we want a king. So then God said that he gave them the desires of their heart and gave them Saul. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul to lead the people for that purpose, for that time frame. I know a lot of people talk about and see where Saul started doing some goofy things at the end of his life, but you can't miss the Scripture. I should have wrote this down, but you can't miss the Scripture where... It says, I, I believe in Samuel, it'll, it'll say in there, the Spirit of God left Saul. The Spirit of God left Saul. At the same time, it said the Spirit of God came upon David. But there was, a, there was a separation that took place there. God put his spirit on Saul for a purpose, for a time frame. Saul was disobedient. God removed his spirit. And then all of a sudden, Saul goes kind of crazy. We see this pattern... In the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, that's how God operated. But then there became a new dispensation, a change. Now we don't have the Spirit of God that comes on. We have God with us. Jesus came to this earth, fully God, fully man, but he came to this earth and now he's dwelling with us. His disciples were hanging out with the Son of God. And the Spirit of God was with him. Now, it is a cool thing. The Spirit of God is on the earth. He's operating through Jesus. But limited. Limited. So when we look at things in the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and we see some of the things that take place there, we know that God was there in the midst, the presence of God was there in the midst, but the presence of God was in Jesus, because when he got baptized, the Spirit came down as a dove and descended upon him. The Spirit of God is in Jesus, but the people don't have that. They have the presence of God around them because Jesus is with them. 
this is how the Gospels operated. Jesus went about doing good, right? He was moved by what? Compassion, by love, to do good. But we don't see the transition to where the Spirit of God is in man until Acts. So there's a difference. You can't read how things happened in the Old Testament from a mindset of the book of Acts. Because it was different. You can't read the Gospels and Jesus going around in the Gospels from the mindset that every believer was filled with the Holy Ghost because they weren't. It wasn't available. That's not how it worked until the book of Acts. So when we're looking at the Gospels, we have to understand there's a difference in how God functioned here and then he made adjustments and functioned differently here. And then in the book of Acts, he changed and adjusted again and began to say, if you go into the upper room and wait on me, I promise to fill you with my spirit. And then when that happened, they were able to go out and lead others and get them baptized in the spirit and filled with the spirit of God. And then that's what gives us the ability in this time frame in which we're living to walk like Jesus walked on the face of this earth. We are not Jesus. Just look at your neighbor and say, he's not saying you're Jesus. However, Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. And we have this presence of God, the Spirit of God in us. In the Old Testament, they would be on them. In the Gospels, he was with them. And now we make the theological leap into the book of Acts, and the presence of God is now in us. I'm just, I'm trying to lay a little foundation because we have to understand there are some adjustments in how God operates. But he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he still has the main goal, keeping the main thing the main thing, which is restoring the restoration of man unto God. That's still the main goal. Galatians 2.20. Let's go there first. To operate, this used to always be a little bit of a uh, conversation where people would say, well, I want to be um, like John the Baptist and I want a double portion of his presence. I want a double portion of God's anointing. Well, I mean, a double portion would be good. But Jesus walked on the face of the earth with the fullness of the Spirit of God without measure. 
and he's our example. Now, I would love to walk on the face of the earth with the fullness of the measure of God in my life. But what's it going to take to get that? Galatians 2.20 is a great place to start. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. How many times have we ever looked in the mirror and said to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to get my flesh out of the way. Get my attitude out of the way. I'm going to get my opinion out of the way. I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. I, I would love, we could just break out in the Holy Ghost, dance all over this place, lay hands on everybody, see the, the sick healed and all that, and, and see people with problems with their ears and have their ears opened up. I know there's people in this room probably would benefit if their, God would heal their hearing. And there's all kinds of things, sicknesses in this room that people are struggling with. I know that. But for... But for some reason, God has me in this place where he says, how about instead of focusing on the supernatural, you focus on crucifying the natural. So you can walk in the supernatural. But because what, what happens is we get excited about it and then when something doesn't quite go right, all of a sudden we're down. And then something goes exciting, and all of a sudden we're back up. And, and then all of a sudden something comes against us, and we're down. And, and we're an emotional roller coaster. Last time I checked, Paul and Silas praised God in the prison. Right? At least one person thinks they can praise God in the prison. The rest of you are saying, oh, no, I ain't going there no matter what. I ain't going there, you know. God gives us his Holy Spirit. But His Word says that signs and wonders shall follow them that preach the gospel. Preach the gospel, signs and wonders follow. It doesn't say we're supposed to follow signs. And if following signs is what we need, to keep ourselves emotionally stable, you by nature are not emotionally stable. 
right? So when's the last time we looked in the mirror and said, I am, I have been, I live as crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. I think from now on before Jesus in the streets hits the streets, you ought to pray that over each other before you walk out the door. You know, he's one of the few. He catches what I preach, and then he starts trying to put it in motion. Like, like he actually hears, like, what I'm saying. <laughs> and he's come up to me several times and said, well, I made this adjustment because of what you said. Right? We've had dumb conversations, right? I'm not making this up. I am crucified with Christ. And then it says further, when you go further, and it says, uh, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. Hold on, hold on a minute. The life I now live in the flesh, I thought we're supposed to walk in the spirit. We, we get so off kilter, it's like we think we get saved and full of the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden we don't walk in the flesh. We still have an earth suit. We have a flesh. We have an earth suit. We have something we're going to be battling with for the rest of our life until we get to that place where we've got a glorified body and that which is cursed is cursed. I'm sorry the earth is cursed. Why do good people die? Why do young people die? Why do we have disasters? There's a curse on the earth. But we can walk and not have the curse touch us. But nonetheless, we still have a flesh. We don't translate into walking as a ghost wandering around that we can pass through walls and act like everything is hunky-dory, da-da-da-da-da. You still got to get up and decide what clothes to wear, and you still got to go to work, and you still got to decide that I'm going to be obedient and do what I'm supposed to do in my flesh. You can't take it off and check it at the door. There still is a part of us that says, I have to crucify my flesh because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And my pastor says this all the time. I think it's one of the greatest statements. You can cast out a demon, but you can't cast out flesh. He tells a story one time of somebody that came into his office and he says they kind of just all of a sudden could literally like fly from one side of the room to the other. Now, would that freak you out? And he said, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I ain't worried about you. And he cast that spirit out. 
He says, but then he had other times where somebody came in his office that was a man and had a knife and wanted to do him harm. And he said, you know what I couldn't do? That man was angry. That man had a knife. He wanted to do harm. I couldn't cast the spirit out. He was in the flesh. He had authority here. That doesn't work. He's still in the flesh. I had to call security. We're still in the flesh. Even though we want to walk after the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, we're still in the flesh. And so there's sometimes these things that just bug us in the flesh, like get up in the morning. I know some of you young guys don't know this yet, but you get up in the morning and you go, oh, my back hurts. Just because Eli's young and the whippersnapper, he don't have all these bodily, you know, pains that old people have. Sometimes it's the flesh that makes us not want to do it because we just know, I don't, I don't feel like that. I thought about rotor tillering up the sand in the beach that I'm by for two weeks. And I'm like, ah, I got to come over here, get the trailer, load the Kubota on it, tie it all down, drive over there, unhook it all, drive a rotor tiller around, put it all back on the trailer, haul it all back over here, unload it all. And I'm like, ah, maybe next week. Man, don't tell me you don't go through that. I know you do. You've had, some of you got bedrooms you've been meaning to paint for like a month or even a year, you know. Some of you husbands out there have had direction from your wife for more than a year wanting something fixed, and it ain't fixed. I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to pick on the guys. <laughs> We still have a flesh. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for it is righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. I like the next scripture. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? This is what I want to clarify today if I can. It's a, a double-edged type situation. One, we're still in this flesh. And so sometimes it's not easy 
two, you're still in this flesh. And so sometimes, because we are, we need grace. We love to pick on the scriptures, and I love them too, you know, like Jesus says, you whitewashed sepulcher. I love that scripture. I love it. God corrects me every time I try to use it on somebody. This one's my favorite too. You're of your father, the devil. For some reason, God doesn't let me use that one either. He says, well, Jesus went in the temple and threw over all the tables. Great, if you feel like doing that, go ahead. But listen, they cost money. I'd really rather not break up all our tables just because you feel like throwing them around because Jesus did it. Right? The grace of God on our life because sometimes we just mess up. Sometimes our discernment might be a little off. And I'm not trying to tell you not to rely on your discernment. I'm trying to tell you to get it, sharpen it. Sometimes we can just be wrong and we should be able to say, I'm sorry. Jesus hung on a cross. How many are thankful he did? He hung on a cross. And I don't understand it at all. He hung on a cross where people mocked him and made fun of him. He hung on a cross where people would take his clothes and rip it up and, and gamble them away. He hung on a cross where when he said, I thirst, they gave him vinegar. And he still hung there, and he still said, because I wonder what the results would have been if he would have said it differently. Have you ever thought about the fact he's hanging at the on the cross? He's got thieves on the side of him saying, if you really are the son of God. He's got people on the ground saying, if you really are, why don't you call angels? Why don't you get yourself off the cross? Why don't you? And do you think his flesh is thinking, no, I'm really enjoying this up here. But in the middle of it all, he says, and I want you to think about this for a minute. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What if Jesus 
doesn't say that. What if the Son of God who was sent to reconcile man back to his Father and is now considered to be in heaven our intercessor, our mediator, our one that stands up there. We can only get to heaven by his name. There is no other name. He is the way we get there. What if he's hanging on the cross and he does not say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is that mediator able to create an avenue for us to get to heaven? We're so flippant with the love of God that I don't think we sometimes gather the cost of it, the sacrifice of it, the crucifying of who he was. And I sometimes, I just wonder if he would have never said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do if we would have an avenue to the Father. I'm not trying to preach some extra biblical revelation here, but I, I, and I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. But you know what? Sometimes we got to think about something even if we don't know the answer. Stop trying to act like you know the answer and just understand the, the, the magnitude of the question. Would we have an avenue to the Father? It was more, we quote scripture, like by his stripes we were healed. It was more than a physical crucifixion. He crucified his will. He said in the garden, God, if there be any way that you could take this from me, please do. But if not, thy will be done, not mine. When he stood on that cross, when he was hung on that cross, and he had to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do, that was a crucifying of his will. And his emotions. What if he would have let his emotions get the better of him and out of anger? He said, Father, don't you ever forgive them for this. What would have happened? Would the earth still have the ability to spin?
Some of you are looking at me like, I, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know what you're saying. I'm telling you there was a magnitude of power in those words. And he demonstrated them. And we act like we can't live them. And somehow we say we're full of the power and the presence of God. I beg to differ. The unity of the Godhead would have no longer been there. It would have been like God exploding or imploding upon himself. I wonder if the earth would have still remained. You say, well, that just sounds crazy. No, I just understand. I understand the power of God. I understand who he is. He hung the earth on nothing. We want to make him our friend, and we lose the fear of God in what we say and what we do, because he's a friend of mine. He might be my friend, but he's God. He is still God. He hung the earth on nothing. I'm begging you today. Say, well, you know, there are... I don't know, you know, other churches, you could go to other churches, it'd be a little easier, it'd be a little easier. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, I agree. I agree it could be easier. But when I said God wants to build an army, I wasn't lying. And I'm going to tell you this, when you step into boot camp, and, 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 and you get ready for an army, listen, and you know, I've never been there. I loved my uncle who went in the army, and I wanted to go there because he did, but I never did. But I still love those that serve. I still think this is the greatest nation on the face of this earth. I will still salute the flag. But when you step in, and this is what they're trying to do today, by the way. They want to lighten up the boot camp. Am I telling the truth? They want to lighten it up. Don't be so hard on them. Yeah, well, when they die in war because they weren't disciplined, then you can turn around and tell their family, I'm sorry, I didn't want to be hard on them, but because I wasn't hard on them, they made the wrong choice, said the wrong thing, shot the wrong weapon, and they didn't come back. But we need this to be more even. We need this to be more calm. We need less we need less of this stuff. We need to, you know, lighten up on it. You don't have to break them down. When Jesus said, when you give me your life, he said, you become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You need to be broke down. I know they don't preach this today because it's not easy. You can't live your life the way you want to live it 
and do what God's called you to do. If you want to, then just ask to be Samson. And don't worry when your eyes get plucked out and you get strung up and they start making fun of you because that's what's going to happen. When you go into boot camp, they don't care what your opinion is. They don't care if you want your hair cut. They don't. They want discipline. They want somebody when they say, get in line, you get in line. Now, if you think I'm standing up here because I, I want to run this like a boot camp, when I say get in line, get in line, listen, this is God. God's trying to get his body of believers to say to God, when God said get in line, I'm getting in line. Not somebody who says, well, well, who are you? Uh, you know, I thought we were friends. God's looking for discipline. God's looking for somebody who will crucify their flesh. He's looking for somebody who's not trying to magnify themselves, but crucify themselves. And get into a place where they'll be discipled and, and become disciplined in what they say, what they do, how they act. Their emotions are under control. They're not, they're not moved by their emotions, but their emotions are under control. And they'll tell their soul to magnify God when their soul doesn't want to magnify God. Instead of their soul telling them, I don't feel like it today, so you don't have to. We're going to become so disciplined that the things in the natural won't dictate how we live. I just challenge you today. My God, you have no idea what's in front of us. If I was to say this, and I don't even believe it's an exaggeration, but probably half of you would never believe it. There are lives at stake from our decisions. Our decisions. I know people are going to come and go in our life, and I know that sometimes God moves people out of our life, but I also know this, that more often than not, the church is just flippant with how much they care about whether somebody is or is not in their life. And they use the Holy Ghost to justify an attitude. Instead of submitting to the Holy Ghost, that says, humble yourself. 
just going to end with this. Because I know what I've seen. I know what I've seen. I know when I'm here at midnight with my head on my desk. I know what I see. And I'm asking you, just like it says in Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, I'm asking that we could do that. I'm asking that we can thank God for his power, for his glory, for his majesty. We can thank God for opening blind eyes and opening deaf ears. We can thank God that there'll be a day even in this place that we'll see the dead raised. I believe in miracles. I believe in signs and wonders. I believe in every part of it. But it's not going to be something that exalts the flesh in this place because that's what's been going on. That's what's been going on in the body of Christ. They magnify everything but God. They magnify healing. Forgot who did it. I walk in healing. Excuse me, sir. You don't walk in anything unless God gives it to you. How about we start getting this right? You don't walk in healing. You don't walk in deliverance. You don't walk in anything. You are only a steward of what God gives you. And without Him, stop magnifying the thing you walk in and start magnifying the one that's walking with you. You might think this is crazy, but you're decades ahead of everybody else if you'll get a hold of this. I know there's some that have already left. They don't want to hear the truth. They only come and go so they can do what they want. I really don't care. But for those of you that stay around, for those of you that are sincere, for those of you that are hungry, for those of you that are tired, and I'm not saying everybody in here is doing this, but for those of you that are tired of just living, living the life that the world says is the life you live for Christ. I don't think we're the only place, but I think we're a good place. Lives are being transformed in this place. Lives are being changed in this place. 
because of Jesus. Please stand with me if you would. may not seem like it, but I am, I, I love you, but I am concerned. The thing that would scare me the most is that I would have a ministry, whatever that word means. For 20 years. And everybody attached to it would be the same. Scares me. I'll just be transparent for a minute. I just told you the honest to God truth. The thing that scares me the most. I know I should work on it because the Bible said the thing Job feared the most came upon him. And I don't really want that, so I probably shouldn't fear about it. But I'm, I'm just being honest with you. That I get concerned that we would make everything so comfortable. That we would never change. That we would never give. We would never crucify ourselves. We would never give of our life the way Christ wants us to give. And listen, you can't outgive Him. You give of your life and you will get back far more than you ever gave. Lord, we come to you this morning. God, I pray that everybody in this place would begin to see you as God. Not just a God. The God. The only one and true God. The one that was before there was anything, O oh God. The God that created time. Because you live outside of time, oh God. The God that put everything in motion. From the foundations of this world, oh God. May we see you, God. As God. If you're in this place right now and you have never asked God to take your life, if you have never surrendered your life to God, 
and said, I don't want to live my life on my own anymore, but I want to live it for you. If you're in this place and you have never done that, you've never said, God, I want to give you my life. I'm just going to ask that you just come right up here. Like nobody, nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Nobody, everybody here, whoever had to do this at one time by themselves too. And so I'm just asking that if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, you don't know him as your Savior, you don't know him as that suffering king on that cross that gave his life for you so that you could be with God for eternity. I'm just opening up this altar that you could come up here. I know it's hot in here, isn't it? It might be hot in here, but it don't compare to the heat of hell if you were there. Hallelujah. Listen, I open up these altars for anybody that wants to come up here and recommit or just commit to another level your ability to crucify your flesh, crucify your emotions and your attitude and your soul and let the Spirit of God have rulership in your life. Lord, I pray over everybody in this place, God, that as we go, God, we've got fellowship dinner. I pray over the food, God, that you would bless it. I pray that you would bless the fellowship and the time together and that we would strengthen each other and encourage each other and uplift each other, oh God, and build that relationship. Build that relationship, oh God. And Lord, I pray for everybody in this place that you would give them a divine revelation of who you are. Not the God that maybe we've seen on TV, not the God that maybe we've read about in some magazine, not the God that we see because there's so many gods, but a revelation of who you really are, God. And when you give them that greater revelation, I pray the greater revelation of the price that was paid by you giving your son for us to live this life crucified to our flesh. God, let us live a life in which we crucify our flesh to your will and to your ways. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Altars are open, but I'm sure the food's ready as well, and whichever one you desire. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. 
God bless and have an amazing week.